0: Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Ja, Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf hart. Herr kommt und jetzt ist er das Kloß. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Klanke. Tor, nächster Treffer. Es ist heuer,
1: Fernandes mit vorne. Ja, klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Feuerballer. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Today we're going to be discussing all the action from Match Day Twenty Six. There were a lot of upsets in this round, and the field is once again closing in. Uh, we are very much primed for an entertaining end to the season. Now, normally we would have Eva Lotte Bola joining us today, but unfortunately with prior commitments, she is unavailable. But by no means, the guest that we have on today is of little quality. In fact, they are of the highest quality. Um, joining us today is host of the German Football Podcast and is the social media international manager for Hamburger SV. It is Roy Campbell. Roy, welcome back.
0: Hello, how's it going?
1: It's good. We're doing well. We're happy to have you, as always. Um, it's been, it was been a big match day, and of course... Um, just to get it out of the way, of course Hamburg's game with Erzgebirge Hour was postponed due to the COVID um, pandemic, taking some of most of the team out. It would be fair to say um, a few teams had this problem as well, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but I guess I'll get we, we're twenty, we are twenty six match days in. Usually, this is the time where we start to kind of snicker or joke about. This is when Hamburg starts to fall away what's been your impression of them so far this season we know they've been they're still in the mix they've got that game in hand of course but it feels a little bit different to compare to the other three seasons because normally they would be in the top three by now but um it has been a bit of a different season for Haasville
0: yeah and that's the thing like if you if you do look back to past three seasons of where they are in this position they are sitting second third first and you know you're just you, you, they, they they have the hope there, but there's something about, I know i watched them watched them every game this season, and I've watched them a lot more than I have in the last couple of seasons, but there's just something there that the fact that they're sitting, I know they're sitting seventh because of the game in hand, but the fact that they're there, the fact that they're just kind of like, they're kind of in the background a wee bit, I know this week they came far, far into the foreground, uh, but they just kind of, I think all the pressure on Schalke and the pressure on Bremen just kind of, kept them in the, the background a little bit and it's not had that much pressure on them that they they, they just might shoot out of somewhere but I'm very optimistic and I know we've chatted about this before how I'm overly optimistic with um, Haswell, but there's just something about them this year that they with the, the run of games that they've got which every time a club says we've got a great run of games it just backfires but there's a good run of uh, like games coming up but as they don't play anyone in the current top six you don't know where it's going to go I don't know I'm, I'm Fairly optimistic, but I also would just like to to work in the Bundesliga next year and stand next to Lewandowski. That's my only. That's the only reason I want them to go up.
1: <laughs> that is understandable. I think the interesting thing heading into those those final few match days is that the situation is not the same with Hamburg. They're in a pretty foreign situation where they arguably they have the easiest schedule heading into the final match days. Just a question of can they overcome the gremlins of losing to teams that are far worse than them in terms of individual quality. Um, It is a big question. As is the question of who the hell is even going to get promoted. Because once again this match day, match day 26 really threw up some red herrings. um, Including our opening game which was Heidenheim against Werder Bremen. Of course Bremen 10 games unbeaten under Oli Uh, Heidenheim, as we know, very strong at home this season. And it was the case here with the 2-1 victory. Goal scorers were Christian Kulvetter and Stefan Schimmer. Marvin Dux got a goal on the 89th minute. A wonderful free kick. He's got 16 goals this season, but it wasn't enough in the end. The biggest thing that was very noticeable in this game was Bremen's defensively. Note on a top rack, he was out for this game. And we've, we've questioned him a lot this season about his, About his play, he seems to be the one player that gets exposed the most. But the one thing that was very noticeable in this game is that they really missed him from a structural standpoint. Um, Because defensively, um, Roy, I'm not sure how much of this game you saw, um, they really struggled defensively, and and the two goals they conceded were very avoidable.
0: Yeah, I think Toprax just, like like you said, he kind of... Flattered to deceive a little bit at the start of the season, but like against Hinsdale, it was pretty good, <laughs> as you could probably tell by the scoreline. Um, but I think he just like that kind of elder statesman in the the squad. Not saying he's an old man, but like obviously he's been he's been round the block a bit. He's a bit of an experienced player, and I think maybe they just missed that. Um, and I especially when you're going through that run of games unbeaten, that. Sometimes it can maybe get to your head a little, and you are you kind of put pressure on yourself, especially with a a game against Heidenheim uh, away to Heidenheim as well. It's always a pressure situation, so maybe they just kind of needed that older, experienced head there to kind of consolidate them in the back. And unfortunately, they didn't have that, and you could see with the goals they conceded.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree, and like the thing for them, like as you go on a on a streak, an unbeaten run like Bremen have it becomes a lot harder to maintain that level. And in this particular fixture, we definitely saw Heidenheim were able to really expose some of Bremen's frailties. I look at players like Mitchell Weiser. I know if I was coaching Heidenheim or another team in the the Bundesliga, he would be the first player I'd want to target, really dominate that left-hand side with your left-backs and your left midfield. And we see he can get caught out quite a bit. When he, because he loves to press forward and, and be part of the attack, even with a back three, it can still leave them a little bit exposed if the right back can't get back into position. And Toprak would be the next one because he's, well, he's slow. And teams with fast strikers, as we've seen, um, and we know, I know Schalke have this problem with Kaminsky, If he's left isolated with a faster player, he's the first guy I'm playing a through ball to. And even though they missed that structurally, they they clearly missed his leadership. You know, he really is the general of that back three. And it was a massive defeat for them in the end because we know, you know, Heidenheim are trying to keep themselves in the mix. They are the Stephen Bradbury of this promotion race at the moment. They're now six points behind heading into the next few fixtures. But it's quite fascinating that they, they've been able to be really inconsistent all season long, and yet they are still kind of in the hut. One player who was very good in this game was Christian Kulvetter. I was really impressed with what he brought to the table. We got the goal, really good goal, just before halftime. He's got four goals this season. And what we're seeing is, even though with Kline it's coming off the bench, but he will probably start on the weekend at St. Pauli, is Kulwitz is going to be very vital for them going forward. We know he had a fantastic season last year um, prior to to Kleinitz coming back on loan and then eventually re-signing. He can be an important player for them and and I think you look at what they they can bring to the table and Heidenheim can very much upset the apple cart. Teams don't really want to play them, especially um, when they're playing at the Voigt Arena. Who knows what they can do? I think it's very exciting to see what they can do going forward. Bremen... Despite losing, they're still in the top three, but they missed a real opportunity on the ma- on, on this match day considering they had a ton of possession inside Heidenheim's defensive half. Had 19 shots on goal in this game, eight on target. Kevin Muller was again very, very good in this game, but I can't help but not feel that the inefficiency in that final third was was the catalyst in the end. If your only goal is coming from a direct free kick, um, and, and a glorious free kick it was, um, I pure individual quality from Marvin Dux then you've probably got to question what's gonna happen going forward. They've got Darmstadt on Saturday night. It's the massive game. Both teams will obviously want to continue to to get back on the winning get, back so can, win. can... get onto winning form. Um, so it'll it'll be quite fascinating to see where Bremen go from here. Obviously Top Rack will hopefully for them be available um and it'll be interesting if they can you know, stop one of the best offensive teams in the league. Speaking of Darmstadt, let's head there to the Merck and Ballenfeld Tour. This was a Friday night fixture against Zanhausen. Of course, both teams had plenty to play for Zanhausen, trying to avoid being in that bottom three. They want to get away from Dinamo, who currently occupies 16th. Darmstadt, of course, know that a win would have put the pressure on Werder Bremen. Uh, In this, they did not. They managed only a draw. Aaron Seidel opened the scoring uh, on 17 minutes. It was a wonderfully worked ball um, from Darmstadt. And Seidel was on hand to score his fifth goal of the campaign. He continues his very good form in 2022. Um, And both teams really traded opportunities. There was some really good goalkeeping from Marcel Schoenen and and Patrick Druez, uh, But eventually, it was all for naught for for Darmstadt. Uh, Very much like a cat playing with a mouse. Uh, They were kind of bored with their opponent for, for a period of time. But Zanhausen um, finding that equaliser, and it wouldn't be the one and only Ahmed Kutuchu scoring his first goal in the Zweite Bundesliga, his first goal for Sanhausen. He hasn't played a lot this uh, since coming over uh, in the winter. He's been hurt um, and struggling with fitness, but a good goal for them, a vital point um, in the context of their season. It means they're now three points clear of the playoff. Um, they showed great resilience in this game because they really had no right of being in a position to get a point here. Um, one player who's continued to be excellent for them is Tommy Treble. Um, his defensive work, um, Roy, really caught the eye for me in midfield where the game is in the balance most occasions. Uh, I really loved his defensive efforts and he really gave Do- uh, Sinhausen a chance to get a point here.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are... T- it's. It's. I always find watching the Sandhausen when they wear that lime green top, you just want them to lose, just because you're looking at it and you're, you're just hurting your eyes. But um looking at the this their team, like I thought they, I thought they did all right against the what is a strong Darmstadt team. Okay, Darmstadt haven't been the, the same way they've been uh, from the Hinrunde but. They they managed to kind of contain them a bit and like apart from like the the goal which was very well worked and they completely outdone Sandhausen's a really beautiful goal that was finished off by Sadio, um, Sandhausen kind of just kept that a wee bit more and you saw that against so I, I know a, a lot of these I'm going to bring up just hash profile games because that's most of the. The games I get to see the, the all all of, but against the highest row they were very compact and very difficult to play against. And uh, you know, like Schwartz has got them playing that way, and it's, it's getting them it's getting them extra points. And you know, like you said uh, with Tribal, that's just a, a player that just kind of stands out as well. And they're creating chan- some chances in games as well. So you're you kind of think you're I mean, you kind of said before like you don't really look at the the bottom after the bottom is they they're gone. You you think they're gone? And Sandhausen they just can they can they kind of grow away from that relegation place potentially? How they've been in the past couple of games, and uh, again on Friday right night, it just kind of showed. I
1: feel like we shouldn't be surprised that Sandhausen are doing this again, um, yeah. where a coaching change, tighten up defensively. They're obviously far more compact in the back four. Dario Dumich in particular uh, is a signing that they brought over in the winter, who's been. Um, outstanding for them and he was very good in this game again he had 7 clearances which is exactly half the amount Darmstadt had for the entire game Um, he's brought a lot of defensive stability uh, alongside Alexander Zhvirov who before the Schwarz era was really struggling to make an impression um, in that defensive four so there's a lot to like with with, um, with what Zanhausen were doing They've obviously improved immensely at the defensive end, and and, and it's definitely the impact of Treeball and Dumitch who, who are bringing that to the core. We know Druers has been very good this season, considering um, all things considered um, on his end. Um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a good point for Zanhausen. Darmstadt that do go top. They've obviously got the game against Bremen on the weekend, which is a is a must watch game. Um, and I suspect ESPN Plus and, and Sky Sports will, will broadcast those games. Sky Sports, of course, on the website. Um, ESPN Plus for our American um, listeners as well. So, yeah, it'll be quite a fascinating game, that one. And uh, Sanhausen have got a, rele- a six-pointer against Hansa Rostock, who we'll talk about in Section 2, who have started to pick up points as well. Now, let's head to... Dresden, the rule of Habig Stadion. Stinamo took on St. Pauli. We mentioned this last week. There is not a lot of love lost between these two sides. They really don't see eye to eye, but it did open up for a very fascinating contest. Uh, under under uh, Gerino Capretti. Dinamo have shown, they showed in their first game against Bremen, despite not winning that game, that there is a fight and a desire to really press intensely in the opening phases of the game. And they did that, and they, once again, they bared the fruits of their labor because on 20 minutes, Christoph Daferna scored again at home. It's the 11th goal of the season for him. And Dinamo looked really, really in control for the opening phases of the game. In fact, they should have gone 2-0 ahead when uh, de Ferner had a superb opportunity inside the six-yard box, but his shot was saved by Sebastian Vassil. A familiar name to Dresden fans will be Simon Makinoch. He's been um, in recently good form for St. Pauli, and he was scoring against his former employers on 42 minutes. Goalkeeper Kevin Broll, who has missed the last few weeks with injury, uh, with Anton Mitrushkin debutizing for him. Uh, he just got lost at a set-piece. Wonderful balling for Paccarada he was caught between trying to pack you know wanting to influence the contest and staying at home he got caught nowhere macinock pump headering the ball home it's his third goal in in his third consecutive game um and pretty much after half time it was all saint pauli they hit the frame of the goal on three separate occasions uh the best of those coming from uh, matonovic late he really was just a little bit unfortunate not to get that under the crossbar. And the points were shared in the end. A goal apiece in front of 16,000 fans. This was an interesting game, of course. This had massive permutations for both sides. Saint-Pauli will move up to second with the points. But, um, you know, Dinamo caused them a lot of issues early on in the game. And the argument is that they didn't put the game out of reach early enough and allowed Saint-Pauli to really ascend to the control of the game. Pretty much after halftime.
0: Yeah, and you look at um, we mentioned it beforehand. Like there was a there was a chance for because I was kind of singing the praises of Deferna because I'm quite a fan. Uh, I think he'll do he is a good thing for them this season. Uh, but like there was a chance earlier on if they cut it back earlier, but then they they kind of prolonged the play, cut it back for Deferna, and he had then it kind of. Ricochet had the chance and it was right at the goalkeeper you kinda, You wonder if those kind of chances especially a team when you're at the bottom those chances don't be, go from big chances to absolutely massive chances as well um, so I, I'm, I'm interested to see how they go on I think what was uh, notable for me in the game was it was the first time I'd watched the game and I felt there was a real atmosphere in the crowd as well obviously you saw the, the fans uh, came in all together at like 10 minutes before kick-off I'm sure and it just created that, like you said, there are two teams that don't like each other. That atmosphere was created for the very start. And it kind of, it, I think the kind of hostile game environment was created by the fans already. That that's the kind of game we ended up seeing. And, you know, that's that's those are the kind of games that you see mistakes like Brawl had made. And it was just a, was a shame that it happened. But Pauly probably, probably deserved the, the point, at least anyway. Uh, probably could have won the game. But I think... Um, when you can see a goal like that you'll probably be quite disappointed if you're a Dresden fan
1: yeah it's it's as a as a goalkeeper you wince at those kinds of situations but such was the quality from Paccarada to put the ball in that really um dangerous area where as a goalkeeper you have to make the split that de- that split decision am i coming or am i going to stay at home and Brol was in the mode of coming out and then realized he didn't have a hel- open hell to actually get the ball and really just mistimed you know all of it and it was a pretty horrible goal to concede um on their end uh we've mentioned Pacarreta he was outstanding in this game you know, really gave them a lot of really gave Dresden a lot of problems down the left-hand side and and you know he he led from the front especially with um the transition game you know Dinamo didn't really have an answer for him and yeah, it creates an interesting game for St. Pauli because they've got Heidenheim on the weekend, um, who are obviously coming off that win against Werder Bremen. Dinamo played Nürnberg. Um, every game is virtually going to be a cup final for Dresden. They currently sit in 16th, as we mentioned. Uh, they are three points behind Zanhausen. They do have an eight-point buffer to Erzgebirge auer but Auer have that game in hand, and just things are getting a little bit more tedious for Dinamo. Uh if it seems more likely that they'll be in that playoff game, they're most likely to play either Zabrucken or Eintracht Braunschweig in that playoff game, which both are very, very tricky fixtures and not ones that they would want to face. Let's take our first break, and on the other side, we'll get to our Group 2 helpings, and we're going to start at the Audi Park when Ingolstadt hosted Schalke. It's been quite a busy week for Schalke. Of course, Dimitrios Grimozis was relieved of his duties and Mike Bushkins was meant to take charge in their game against Ingolstadt on Sunday. However, he'd been struck with COVID and was replaced by Matthias Kreutzer uh, with the help of Tim Hoogland and Gerard Azamoa. They took on an Ingolstadt side that are running out of time. They know that they have to start taking points. And they need to do so immediately. Of course, before the game, that there was an announcement that Felix Weyer was going to be the referee of this game. This was, of course, greeted with lots of praise and excitement. During the first half, neither team really offered a whole lot Both teams kind of trading half chances. But uh, the implementation of Rodrigo Zalazar early in the second half really unlocked the game for Schalke. Because on 55 minutes, the Uruguayan would score his third goal of the campaign. Toronto was able to beat Antonich in the challenge. And Zalazar was on hand to poke the ball in for the opening goal. He would also assist to the second and the third goal. His set-piece found Malik Chow on 71 minutes. And then he found Dominic Drexler just 10 minutes later to give Schalke its first win under caretaker, caretaker coach, Matthias Kreutzer. It's a big win for Schalke. They now sit three points behind the promotion places with eight games to go. And uh, it was and it, it was a weird game in the end because even though Schalke were in some ways comfortable, they still looked vulnerable at the back, even with a, with a relatively different system. We saw some four at the back stuff. Um, with It'sakura playing in a defensive midfield role alongside uh florian uh flick but um it's an important win for them we know that with eight games to go they've got five uh, they've got the they've basically got the top five yef- um left to play taking as many points as they can is very vital but um but roy it, it's always going to be an uphill battle for them uh considering everything that's happened over the past few weeks.
0: Uh, definitely, but I think you just need to look at this game as a game that they had to go, they had to get three points, had to show something, you know, Salazar had a really good game, he was that player that decided to, to step up and say, look, we have to go and win this game pretty comfortably, or, like, you can write yourselves off from there, Um so that's, I mean, you take that game and you go on to the next one, like, no offence to to English, but I mean, they were... They are going to be that team now for the rest of the season. That if you're lucky enough to play like Ingolstadt, it looks like you're, you, you should go, especially in the top half, you should go and like pick up those three points. So, definitely, they they went and did what they had to do during a difficult week. But maybe that was a good thing that they did have this game. There was not so maybe, well, you can see there's pressure riding on this game because they didn't win, then that would be something else. But maybe that, like, um playing like start kind of helped them as well to just kind of ease through especially with the, the the confusion with like Puskin's not actually taking the the team on the on the day either uh, but it was just it was like, like I said it was just those that game that they had to um, they had to go and win that game to just put aside any worries at the moment for one more week at least but uh, it I don't. I wouldn't say it's all happy in uh, and Gelsenkirchen, and and definitely. And you'll know that thing far too well.
1: Yeah, it's 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 anything. But there's the uncertainty of who the next manager is going to be, and obviously, you know the squad will look pretty different. I would suggest heading into next season as well. Um, but yeah, I think the thing the thing that was pretty noticeable about the way they played on the weekend. Was that they really made a considered effort to really dictate the tempo of the game? They really gave English that no rule element, you know, control of of the game itself, and and really forced them to try and beat them on the counter attack. And the best opportunity English that mustered was late in the second half when Stefan Kuczka had a one on one situation, and Marcin Freisel produced an exceptional save, um, closing in on the on the striker who has really struggled to, with, with injury and and, and form to, to to really make an impact for for Ingolstadt. And he was someone that we identified at the start of the season who would play, excuse me, a bit of a role. So Schalke now are still in the mix, heading into the final few games. They get Hannover over at home on Saturday afternoon. It's a massive game for them. They need to pick up points against the lower teams, the teams you'd expect them to beat because it's going to start to stockpile. There are some massive games coming up for the for the Royal Blues, and, and not included um, after their game against Dinamo on on uh, April Fool's Day, believe it or not. They play Heidenheim, Darmstadt, and Werder Bremen consecutively, and then end the season with St. Pauli and Nürnberg, uh, Sandhausen sprinkled in between. That is an extraordinarily difficult situation, and you can just tell that squad-wise, they they haven't really been able to show that they can win those tough games. Um, You know, they beat Nürnberg quite comfortably, but it's not convincing anyone and it's not convincing me that they can, in fact, get it done. Uh, Ingolstadt, on the other hand, they are 12 points adrift from the playoff, which is held by Dresden, as we've mentioned. um, It looks more and more unlikely that they are going to be able to survive. The one thing they did uh, on the weekend is they didn't wear the traditional black with the red Uh, They were wearing blue with yellow shorts and socks, of course, in support of the Ukraine, which which was a very lovely touch. Uh, It's a shame they couldn't do much else with it. Now, let's make the move to Hanover, who took on Nuremberg. Also on Sunday, this was at the HDI Arena. 14,300 made their way to see, well, pretty absent performance from Hanover. They were missing Maximilian Bayer and Sebastian Kirk. Um, with COVID, I believe. Both massive outs for them, and they are really the main source of their creativity. And it showed, because they really struggled with Lucas Hensizia leading the line. Cedric Toykett playing as a number 10 kind of worked, but didn't work really effectively. And Nürnberg were able to get the job done. Three uh, goals to nil the final score. It means they closed the gap to three points. And it's their fourth... Win in a row, it's the first time they've done that since the 2016-17 season. I believe that was in the the first half of the campaign. Goal scorers in this game were Lucas Schliemer and then Tom Krause, who was outstanding in this fixture, and Eric Shurinov got his sixth goal of the campaign three minutes before regular time. This game was built in typical circumstances. These two might be fighting for promotion, but it's far from the case here. It was a big win for for Nürnberg because with the results above them, it it brings them into the picture, whether teams want to admit it or not. They are very much in the fray. But for Hanover, this defeat now puts them in a bit of danger. They're only four points clear of the playoff spot. They play Schalke on the weekend, which they could get a result there. But um, their recent form is becoming a bit of a concern. They've lost their last two games. uh, And it's the way that they've lost those two fixtures is a real issue. 100%.
0: Hundred percent. It's just they're just they've been a team that sometimes they'll they'll, they'll bring up a, a result or two, and then they just go back to being really really poor. And you do worry with the the next couple of games coming up because they are quite important as well. You know, with uh, Schalke, Regensburg, and Alwa. I mean, Schalke's obviously. A, uh, a team that they would maybe not expect to win against, um, considering the table positions, but it's the next two games after that, and you just kind of wonder, after th- these three games, where you're going to see Hanover? They um, just really weren't in the game at all, and Nuremberg just are doing what Nuremberg are doing, and just great, making results, and looking, making themselves at the top, near the top of the table, and as you say, bring themselves back into contention for, can they actually go up? But, but Hanover, it's just, I don't know, there's something really disappointing there that they can't seem to get any consistency going when they do pick up results. Uh, I mean, remember in December they picked up that win over Haas Foul and they just never built anything off of it. And then it's just, I don't know, just a bit uh, disappointing since they had those like victories uh, against, uh, like, uh, Ke- it was Kiel and Pally recently they, they beat before. They went on that run after the Pokal. Um, maybe the Prickalo the way now will be good for them, but it's just it's just that consistency basis is just quite disappointing for them, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, and and you know we were maybe hoodwinked a couple of years ago into thinking that they could be um, a promotional candidate, and and this year I think our expectations and even the expectations of Hanover fans were very modest. Um, you know, we had a feeling they might be in that mid table bottom six kind of situation. Um, but obviously, they didn't hit on the coaching hire. They went with an inexperienced, untried quantity in uh, in, in, um, in the form of Zimmerman. And that didn't work. And then they didn't hire the best available coach, which was Daniel Tiun. Um, and they let him walk to Fortuna Dusseldorf, who we'll talk about in a moment. Um, and they, they trust Dabrowski, but it's clear that for all his good intentions, he has vulnerabilities um, in terms of coaching the defensive end. They get very vulnerable very quickly, and they the, the the structure that they play with the back four, you know, which is usually quite a stable setup. They find new ways to, to really be uncomfortable um, when teams are able to attack quickly or attack from wide areas. Um, you know, not saying Julian Berner and Marcel Franca have been poor this season, in fact they've actually been probably two of the better players for Hanover this season but they have really struggled to contain teams that have been able to press well and Nürnberg did that in spades in this game, I was very impressed with what they were providing and they caused a lot of issues and created turnovers in their final third and yeah, four wins on the bounce three points behind, things that have suddenly turned around, they get Dinamo Dresden at home on the weekend And they might cause some issues. Um, Really surprising that they have somehow, after having that real stretch of just miserable play, they've somehow put themselves back in the mix. Now, let's go to our final Group 2 game. It's Hansa Rostock and Holstein Kiel. Hansa hoping to make it back-to-back wins after their 4-3 win at Schalke last weekend. Kiel hoping to break a three-game losing streak. We know how Hansa have really struggled at home this season at the Ostse Stadion, but they took the lead on four minutes. Patrick Breer, who was one of the heroes uh, last weekend, he scored on four minutes for his fourth goal of the campaign. It was one goal to nil. Hansa dominated really the, the first half and without results, and they were made to pay for it just five minutes after half time when Alexander Mooling uh, put past uh, Kolker. One player who has been constantly on the goal scoring sheet for Hansa Rostock this season has been Jean Verhoek heading into this match he'd he'd contributed 42% of the goals for Rostock he was on hand to score his 14th of the campaign on 68 minutes it was a wonderfully whipped ball by Rizzuto and he found Verhoek uh, beating Simon Lorenz and and Phil Neumann to give Hansa the lead again but Rizzuto who had a pretty funny game in this one uh, he conceded an own goal Hansa really struggled from set-piece defending in this one. Uh, the initial header on from Pickler, Rizzuto, in all good intentions, tried to clear the ball, but unfortunately his clearance went into the back of the net. But Rostock always looked the more likely of the two teams to take the three points here, and on 81 minutes they did so. It was a wonderfully whipped ball in um, to find Hanno Behrens. Behrens at the back post thundering the ball past Ioannis Gelios. And his fourth goal of the campaign. And Rostock, back-to-back wins for them. They now move up to 12th in the standings, ahead of holstein And Despite their defensive frailties, one thing that's really a joy to watch about Rostock is their attacking prowess. It's very unconventional, as we saw with Jens Hardell's coach sides with Magdeburg a couple of years ago, a team that really struggled to find the back of the net. This team is just super fun when they get it going. And, and once again... When when it, things are going right for them, they are extremely dangerous and they showed it here again.
0: Exactly. And you look at the, the wins that they've had recently. Like, I mean, I mean, I can skip Nick last week if you want, but obviously, like, the, Dresden, they scored four goals. he scored three goals in the weekend. They scored four goals against Schalke last week, sorry. But it's just really exciting to, to watch when they do get going. And the, I don't know, they've kind of became the, a team that us at the, the, the GFP have kind of like Cling to as our team now, just because we haven't seen them. But they're just they, they can be that mix of completely excited to watch going forward, and ugh, elsewhere it's just it's just a bit it's just a bit lacking. But there's I think coming into the season um, from the Dritter League as well, I don't think they would have been too disappointed if you told them they'd be sitting uh, as a 12th place now yep. uh, on match day twenty six. You wouldn't be you they'd probably take that uh, as well, something to build on. And when you have John Verhoek just doing what he's doing, you can't be too disappointed uh, with Rostock at the moment. And they are, I think, from the you know the teams that came, the teams that came up with Dresden have been the better. They've been the better side uh, of of the three of them, definitely. Obviously, it shows in the league standings, but I think just in general as well, they've they've kind of provided more to the league and brought more to it.
1: Yeah, and I think they just bring more in general in terms of. The total footballing package, yeah, the on-field product is very, very good to watch when it when it's clicking. When it's clicking, that's the the important yeah. thing with them. And yeah, they, they they're just super fun, and the way that they were able to dissect Keel's fragile defensive core, and I think that's the thing that like that needs to be talked about heading into the summer for Marcel Rapp is that that defensive team core, that defensive like personnel needs a full reset. Um, yeah. We've seen guys like Tesca, uh, Simon Lorenz, we've seen Neumann playing in this back three. And clearly, um, Rap doesn't have the personnel he really wants. And they, they've they got some big questions that, they, that need to be answered. Um, because in terms of like the proper footballing style, they're playing the way he wants them to play, which is very possession-based, controlling the play, really circulating... But defensively, they are just a mess. Another game where they've conceded a ton of goals, and it's a real problem for them. So something that we'll look out for heading into the summer, assuming they cannot put themselves in a situation of bother. Um, you know, you look at their results, and if you go all the way back to Matchday 22, where they were 3-2 winners against Erzkenberg Auer, where they conceded twice in that game. Since then, two against Karlsruhe, two against Hanover, four against Paderborn. Three against Hansa Rostock. You know, recently it's just progressively gotten worse and worse, and you just wonder what is their next move because um, you you, just, you don't expect them to make another coaching change because that doesn't seem right.
0: But it's but, like a bit lost, I yeah. Think sometimes. And that's the and you look at the the squad that finished uh, the season last year against Köln and. In the playoffs, it's just there's nothing there anymore. Like it just doesn't look that looks solid and can like a team that knew what they were playing. And there's just there's just definitely players that are hundred percent missing. And there's just something just not there. And I think Rap just needs to find that, but I don't think he's going to get to be able to find that until the summer. So it's just kind of kind of ride it out, like you said, and just not end up in the mix for the heading towards the Liga. Just players that haven't been able to replace um, and. It's just, it's just a bit, it's just a bit disappointing. Because last year, I, I'm sure you'll agree, they were, they were just really fun to watch, and like they were just a team that you looked forward to, looking for, uh, for the results of the weekend, or even just watching uh, on its own. So it's, uh, there's something, there's just something not there in my, like that's how I look, I look at Keel at the moment. It's just disappointing.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the one question heading into the season was how they were going to replace Murphy, Lee, and uh, and Sarah, and you know Pickler's been a good find for them. Attacking wise, yeah. but you know they—they they really. I mean, they were hoping a late Lewis Holtby could be their Lee Jae Song, and obviously that's not going to happen. And and you know, murphy although he was probably the quieter of that midfield three, alongside um, <laughs> Mulling and Co. Like it was a—they are hard replacements to make. So um, yeah, it will be fascinating to see what they do in the summer, assuming they can't put. They don't put themselves in trouble. They do have Ingolstadt on the weekend, so maybe they can turn that four-game losing streak into a one-game win streak. We'll take our final break, and on the other side, we'll discuss the final two games. We're going to start at the Bensler Arena when Paderborn hosted Fortuna Dusseldorf. One of the games that we were kind of surprised actually took place was Paderborn and Fortuna Dusseldorf. Dusseldorf had been ravaged by the COVID-19 and it was rather surprising but also not surprising considering how the DFL took an absolute age to come with a decision for the Hamburg Hour game. Uh, it It's almost felt like they took way too long that the game eventually had to happen which meant that Daniel Thiun, coach of um, Dusseldorf, was out. Jan Hopner, who's one of his assistants, took place. Um, and really, this was a makeshift, side Bundesliga, Regenar Liga, side that Fortuna Düsseldorf put ahead at the, bench of the Arena. And I don't mean that just dis- generally. That's just what the team looked like. They they were industrious. They they worked really hard in this game. They gave away a penalty just before half time, which was a stonewall penalty. I think no one can really argue with it when um, Jakub Petrovsky. Um, Ron Schallenberg. Now, Piotrowski was playing out of position. He played as a makeshift centre back uh, because they again didn't have the numbers to really to really make it happen. Um, but he was bailed out when Felix Platter took a very miserable penalty, and that was well saved by Florian Kastemeyer. And then Dusseldorf. Things went. Things, things continued to get better for Dusseldorf because um, moments later they took the lead just before half time, and it was. Florian Harthurts, I know Eva's one of Eva's favourite players. Um mm. he he opened the scoring. It was a nice simple tap in after Yannakut made the initial save. Um and and Paderborn, despite the fact that they were pressing very hard to get an equaliser, it took them a long time and eventually they got their wish on ninety-two minutes. Ron Schallenberg, who scored pre in the last game against uh, Holstein Kiel. Uh, he was able to tap home after Kastemeyer, who'd been absolutely resolute throughout this game, made another really good save um, from a set piece. Um, Schallenberg was on hand to tap home an equaliser. They also thought they'd won the game just moments later. Um, but that goal was taken away because of a foul. Um, Roy, this was a very contentious situation was it enough to overturn the goal it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of contact in that situation would you agree with the um with the referee uh, Mikael bacher's decision in the end to overturn the goal
0: oh, i never agree with referees so that's the <laughs> like question uh, no of course i like, i don't know is it do you, do you like I'm not actually in a discussion with anyone yet, so this is where I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna have one now. Has, is he coming in with his like the studs up, and that's where he's just assumed this dangerous play, and that's where he's gave it because obviously like you can see that there's not much contact, if any. I, but is it just that whole like the stunts come in, and that's when like referees go ah, but that could have been a foul, and then they give it they go and give it. I think that's like the, it's that situation.
1: That's the only thing I can think of really, and it didn't feel like. Anyone got an adequate explanation as to why it was chalked off? Because it was obviously a very poorly defended set piece. Um, yeah. But but as you could expect, when you don't have your your starting pair of Hoffman and Device, um, who have both been fantastic as a as a duo. But um, yeah, for me, it didn't seem like there was enough in the way of like proper contact, and it, it seemed like to me a little bit too soft. But that's a personal preference. Um, as long as, as long as that's what is adjudicated consistently, then there's there's not an issue. But we've seen that that kind of stuff is never adjudicated consistently. So I can see why um, there were there were boos in the you know there were disappointment. Lucas Krasniok completely lost his marbles. The team manager at Paderborn was sent off as well, um, and it created a very interesting atmosphere where uh, the Paderborn fans were not only probably booing the result of the no goal, but they were also booing the performance of the team because the expectation, and fairly so, was against a pretty makeshift side that they were going to roll Dusseldorf quite comfortably. Uh, But they were given a game that they weren't expecting, and perhaps that naivety, Roy, was 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 cause is a cause for a lot of concerns in terms of maybe the long term termevity of this team speaking to a few Paderborn fans they are unsure if kozniak is the right fit for this team at the moment and like what's your opinion on because he seemed like maybe a lesser Stefan Baumgart maybe a bit more animated more uh, emotional in the way that he coaches and and he's not afraid to express his feelings but do you think that maybe his past few months of course he's unvaccinated which you know of his choice but you know maybe not in the well, best interest of his of his team his uh, kind of disruptive behavior has made it maybe potentially a bit of a difficult place to play in, and as we've seen the results have been a real struggle of recent
0: yeah this is where i need to be careful because our next two opponents are Paderborn and dusseldorf <laughs> so i don't want to be jinxing anything I think with Paderborn, the first thing I thought after watching that game was they're just a bit meh, aren't they? They're just, like, that's the best way to describe them. They're just not really going to do anything. I don't really know why they're so high on the table either. Um, they just don't... I've never been inspired watching them this season. It's completely different when you watch them. You just get a different feeling um, when you did watch them in the last couple of seasons under um, Baumgart, of course. And, of course, that happens with changing managers. But there's just something about this team that just did. I don't know. There's just not much there to be excited about. You could see that at the weekend. I mean, with given Dusseldorf, you know, they played. They 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 did what they had to do. They stuck in the ground, grinded out the result that they wanted to get because of the what happened and the the game having to be played with um you know very limited resources. Pardew should probably be thinking why why are we not going and winning that game? We've got we've got basically a full squad here against a depleted side. So there's just there's just that element of it with Kwasniewski. I don't know. I'm, I don't. I'm not really. And again, I don't want to say anything because I might be standing next to him in the next couple of weeks. But I I'm not not. I mean, listen and We never know. I don't want him to think I don't like him, but I don't like him. I don't know there's something about him that just doesn't seem like he's the right fit there, and I. I think he did well at Sam Broken, but maybe his, like you said, it's his behaviours and anim, animatics and stuff like that of like of just a bit too much. If that, if I, that makes that actually makes sense, um, there's just too much up there on the sideline, and I don't. I think he gets he brings his emotion in too much as well. I mean, you saw he just stormed away after the full time. Fair enough that he wasn't sure about the result. Uh, the the obviously. They do his offside, uh, not offside, uh, not offside the, the, the goal that wasn't given. But there's just something about this that's unlikable. I don't know how you feel about him, but there's just something unlikable about them there. And the, the squad, I, I'm, I don't mean to be absolutely going through Panaborn right now, but I know I am, which means they'll probably beat Hasfal uh, in the first week of April. But and there's just something there that I'm just, I, don't, I don't enjoy at all watching them. I mean, he is a bit much. At, at ah, he's, a, much
1: a bit. he's a bit much. Like I can see why people gravitate towards him, because he's a heart. He wears a heart in his sleeve, and he's very passionate, and is all for the cause. And and his potentially his his attentions are, are are justifiable. But it's just it for me. He he comes across as a bit strong. Um, like I I love watching Daniel Tune, especially because. I love the fact that he is just a full trackies guy, which is exactly the way I love to operate. Um, and he's he he knows when to rein it in when situations aren't going their way, and we're gonna and and that's and even Jan Hopner, who's just an assistant coach, knew when to rein it in. And Kozniak is going at 100 miles an hour all the time, and sometimes you just wonder. Hmm, let's you know we this is the guy who's leading our team forward. You know, is he making the best imprint on what we're hoping to do on the pitch? They are clearly not as structured or they, they don't have the same flow as they did yeah. heading, you know, late 2021. But yeah, it, it I, I'm i not, a, I'm not, there are more managers, there are other managers that I probably like more yeah. than, than uh, Mr. Kwasniak, but that's nothing against him. I've never met him personally, so I won't judge, but you know, an outsider's perspective, that's probably what we're looking at. Um, another team that um, we would make a case is probably far too high up on the standing. And we've probably talked this to death at the moment. Jan Regensborg. Um, they were at the BBB Bank Wildpark to take on Kalsra. This game ended a goal apiece. For Jan, it's the first time in five games that they didn't lose. Uh, but it is also ten games. They've, they've you know It is now... Was it? They've won twice in their last 14 games, um, which is just miserable form. The goal they scored in this game was far from miserable. Uh, Carlo Bukalfa found Jan-Nicholas Bester, uh, sort of Garis, as Marius Gersbeck, excuse me, uh, looked to try and challenge Bester. Uh, he chipped him superbly. Real great bit of individual skill and quality. But from there, really, Kalsra had the better of it. They had a number of good chances, I think, a Van free kick which was beautifully saved by Alexander Meyer. Um, and then eventually they got their goal 20 minutes from time. Philip Hoffman, of course, would be that guy. 14 goals for him. Um, but I think I think there's a sour taste for, for, um, for Karlsruhe because really they should have won this game. I think Jan had maybe a couple of decent chances. But um, the game was well and truly in Karlsruhe's hands. They just didn't take advantage of it.
0: I think that's just been the story of Carthra's season. is that they do like you you saw recently in the Pocal, they did they were the better side for a couple of the game, and they just they just can't grind out. I like, just can't grind out the results. And there's something all also likable about them, but there's also something just frustrating about them as well. I think like um, Hoffman's obviously scored 14 goals this season, but there's just is there, is there anything else coming round about them at the moment? I really like Vanacek as well. I think he's probably one of the most underrated players in the league. And Gersberg as well is obviously a, a great goalkeeper. But it's just, again, it's just, is, that, is it that consistency? Is it that grinding a results thing? It's a game that should have won, in my opinion. I just, I don't really rate anything Regensburg related to the moment. I just don't see, like, I think they're very lucky that they picked up some of the results they got or they would be struggling uh, right down at the bottom. I think you guys have mentioned that before, uh, quite a few times as well. That it, because that's what they are. Like they, they're very lucky they got the, the the good run that they had at the start of the season. But can I say, it's just it's when I mean, it's been a while since I've won now. Um, and you just kind of think that's the like, is their season over? Pretty much. Like they're not going to. I don't think they're going to get dragged into it, but they're not going to go up. I don't really see them moving position. But it's just, it's, I don't know if you get that vibe from them as well. But it's just a bit. There's something there, but it's just not quite clicking together yet. And I, I like. I think Iceland's got a good. Can do something there, but it's just figuring out how to do it and the best way to go around it. And just now, it just hasn't really hasn't really solved itself.
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of where Carls are kind of at at the moment. They're they they're a good mid-table side that will on some on any given day they can really give the very best a good challenge, but on other days they can be extraordinarily frustrating where they dominate a particular contest and then and then you look at the result and you just scratch your head in like how the hell did this happen and and there've been many times this season where they have completely blitzed the team and they've come up with just a draw or they've even lost the game on their own, at the back of their own performance. So yeah, they, they've been an enigma. They're not going to be in any danger. I think the big, the question that will inevitably spoken will be what happens to Philip Hoffman at the, in the off season. We know that there'll be teams that will be after him. Probably Hamburg once again for the third consecutive year. They might try and get him, but uh, not sure why they'd want to. They've got Robert Glatzel leading the line, so um, I think they're fine with that. Um in terms of Regensburg, I'm amazed that we haven't seen a coaching change yet. I understand, as we've seen in the past few weeks, the coaching market is rather thin, Um we see, you know, Felix Magath just literally pulled off the street to to rescue her who we may end up talking about next season. Um, the way things are going there, and you know, Schalke obviously going with a, with a cat with you know an assistant coach in Mike Buskins, and you know, it obviously doesn't make a lot of sense. But the results speak for themselves that you know they are almost doing everything in their power to be in that, that bottom three. Like I've. It reminds me of what Osnabrück did a couple of seasons ago where they just found new ways to lose games and then they end up making the playoff, actually, last season. Um, So that's kind of where they are. Like, they're just nowhere. Um, The team has no cohesion at all. Um, And I I just wonder if, with eight games to go, they get Paderborn... On the weekend at home. Paderborn obviously very good at home, away from home. So it's going to be a big test for them. It will be very, very fascinating. Um Before we go, of course, we'd like to discuss our kick tip league. Yannick still leads with 253. He only scored two points on the weekend. And there is a chasing pack. And one of those chasing pack is our good friend, Lewis. Of course, um does the stuff with Sam Howes in the commentary. The hardfold, he is also... He does some great work. and He... One this week with fourteen points. Um, our podcast recommend- recommendation—we've already recommended them once this season, but we're going to do it again. It is the German Football Podcast. Um, Roy, what's coming up with the with the um, the GFP? I know that we're not seeing as much of you because of your your commitments with Harzval, but um, what what can what can our listeners expect from you know the upcoming episodes with GFP?
0: Well, we'll. Look- we finally delivered what we said we would do and which was to take a different sideline and like look at different like maybe take stories and themes and turn it into a podcast which we've done in the past maybe three or four now. Uh, which has been quite fun. I think what could be coming up, like we did one recently was like uh, it was like uh this me and George talking about working in football media and we got another a uh, friend of George that works in the DFL, uh, Chris on to talk about working in German football. So something like that, something a wee bit different. Um, but in the next couple of weeks, we're definitely going to look at the run into the Zwaite Liga, of course, see how that's playing out. I'll probably skip that one for bias reasons. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and uh, I think we're. It's, there's lots of chat about it, but there's chat of some more ground hopping coming up very soon so like more of that kind of stuff will definitely be happening so if you like hearing about traveling to different games in germany then you'll enjoy that
1: there you go go check them out you can find them on twitter and all friendly social media platforms um and that's it for us thank you for listening to another edition of the spider bundesliga podcast we will be back evil will be back for our match day 27 review until then enjoy your weekend of spider bundesliga football stay safe and we'll see you next
0: time